And welcome back to episode six of Cheap Seats, the number one podcast produced by the WDBC Dragon Broadcast Program. I got four, pe- I got three people with me today. Dawson Wolf, say what's up, Dawson. How's it going, everybody? I got Lyndon Potter. How we doing? And Ethan Tarr. Hey, how's it going? We also got one more person on with us today. He's played for the Dallas Cowboys, the Las Vegas Raiders, and most most recently, the New Orleans Saints. He went to Saginaw Valley State. He went undrafted, signed by the Dallas Cowboys. It's Jeff Heath. What's up, guys? How you guys doing? Doing great. So if you do, if you do not know this, Heath actually went to our high school. He was inducted into the our school's Wall of Excellence. So that's basically like our Hall of Fame. It was supposed to be during COVID 2020, got pushed back a year. It was this past fall. Um, can you just quickly tell us what that experience was like? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't able to make the uh, actual ceremony. Um, you know, I had some other obligations in Dallas, but my mom uh, attended on my behalf. And uh, I mean, it's just an honor. Um, you know, Lake Orion's meant so much to me and really, uh, you know, shaped who I am today. And, you know, within the, all the athletic programs I was a part of, the school and uh, really just the community, very close-knit community that, that I really love and uh, I was really involved with. So just to be recognized by them um, is, uh, you know, just humbling and just a great honor. That's amazing. I know what you did at Lake Orion was an awesome. You've had a really successful NFL career. You spent multiple years with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, that's the team I want to dive right in first. Let's talk about the ending of the game. Um, crazy yeah. ending there. What's y'all's opinions on that one? Well, uh, I mean, the game as a whole, um, you know, it kind of played out how I was anticipating, not with Dallas losing, but just I knew the type of game it was and the type of opponent that San Francisco was. I knew it was just going to be a physical game. Um, You know, San Francisco was going to try to run the ball, play good defense, try to keep Dallas's offense off the field. And, uh, you know, they had some success early, and you could tell Dallas wasn't really settled into the game. And then, you know, as the game went on, uh, they settled in, started playing a lot better. Um, but yet the fourth quarter alone, I mean, that was there's so many different um, scenarios and so many different situations that came up that are pretty rare to happen for them all happen in one game was insane. But, you know, that last play, that's something that, um, you know, norm, most NFL teams I know when I was in Dallas, we did, uh, you know, every Friday and Saturday, you kind of walk through these end of the game situations with, you know, if you have. 15 seconds left versus 13 seconds left, that changes everything completely. And, you know, I think they had 14 seconds left. And, uh, you know, San Francisco was – they're playing a defense we call sideline defense where you literally just basically set up a wall of guys on the sideline and say, okay, if you try to do anything in the middle of the field and without any timeouts, you're not going to have enough time to get up and spike the ball. So Dallas – and obviously in Dallas's mind, they thought they did have enough time. You know, normally around 12, 13 seconds is that cutoff, and there's 14. So in their mind, they had enough time. And, you know, I think the play call, a lot of people are giving the Cowboys crap about the play call. But honestly, I think 
I think that was the right thing to do. They definitely had enough time. I think where they made the mistake is you can't spot the ball yourself. Like a player can't spot the ball. The ref has to spot the ball. And normally what happens is, you know, either the guy that gets tackled will hand the ball to the ref and he'll spot the ball or they'll put the ball on the ground. The ref will just run up and touch it. And, you know, it's spotted. What happened in this, in this game actually give, Credit to the San Francisco guy, because when he tackled Dak, he kind of laid on him for a couple seconds, which you're taught to do as a defender. And that, you know, those two seconds or one second that it cost Dallas ended up being the difference. But what happened was Dallas ran up to try to get in their formation and they didn't leave enough room for the ref to get through to spot the ball. And if the ref would have had to try to run around the whole line, definitely wouldn't have enough time. So I think the only thing they could have done differently is either hand the ball directly to the ref or know that the ref's coming to spot the ball, move out of the way, give him some space to do it. But just kind of an unfortunate ending. It's such an exciting game and then kind of ends like that. It feels like, I don't know, just like unfulfilled on San Francisco. I'm sure San Francisco isn't complaining, but as a fan, you'd like to see at least one more play. The crazy thing about San Francisco is you talked about it. They had that 13-point lead against the Cowboys. They only scored one touchdown in the fourth quarter as a Debo Samuel 26-yard running touchdown in the third quarter. And then the Cowboys come back in the fourth quarter and score 10 unanswered points. So looking at it from a former Cowboys standpoint, do you think it's more of the blame's going to be placed on Prescott or is it going to go more on the coaching staff and on Mike McCarthy? You know, uh, the blame – so it's funny. I mean, the quarterback, especially the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, is probably the most scrutinized position in all of professional sports. You know, like they're the most it's the most notable franchise in the world, the most notable position in the most notable league. So the quarterback is always going to get blame. They, they probably get too much blame when you lose and they get too much credit when you win. So the quarterback is always going to be front and center. Um, and it's funny when you look at all the, the media and the talking heads, they always need someone to blame, but anyone who's played sports, especially played football understands that you can't blame one play, one person. There is so much, like if Dallas doesn't come out so flat, start of the game, let San Francisco get 10 points up before, I think they I think they were down 10, nothing before they even got a first down. So I mean, you can look back on there. If they come out better in the first half, get some stops early, then we're not even talking about it. So, you know, obviously there's going to be blame post around. That's or else these media guys wouldn't have jobs. That's what they do is they need something to talk about in terms of whose fault it was or who deserves the credit. But so unfortunately, that's something that Dak's going to have to deal with. And obviously you've seen a lot of stuff with Mike McCarthy um, getting a lot of blame as well but you know ultimately just got the Cowboys didn't come out ready to play right away and San Francisco did and you know you only get 60 minutes to play and in those 60 minutes San Francisco outplayed them so hey anyway, Jeff, what's what's Dak like on the sideline in a playoff situation like that when they're down a lot of scores and it's obviously a winner go home game you know I think he's the, the great thing about Dak and is one of the reasons why he signed this huge contract, you know, first and foremost, he signed this deal because he's a great player. He's got all the skills that you need to play quarterback, but 
maybe even more important is his character is uh his character and how he handles himself and his leadership so you know i've played with dak for about what four years or three or four seasons i forget when he got drafted but um i mean in terms i've played with a lot of great players and i don't think i've played with a better leader than dak um and he's the same guy no matter what whether you're down 50 whether you're up 50 whether it's a preseason game whether it's the divisional round versus Rams that in uh, 2018 we were playing, it's like, he's the same guy, you know, he, uh, he's never too high, never too low. He kind of just bring, brings a calming presence through the whole team, especially on the offense. Um, so that's just who he is. And, you know, win or lose, he handles himself like a man and he answers the tough questions. And uh, so, you know, I, I love Dak. I think he's a, he's a great player and he's a great leader. Anyone else got any other thoughts about that game? Oh, uh, no. I got it. Moving on, then, I want to get your thoughts really quickly about a not, another controversial play. We're going to move into the Saturday games. I'm talking about the touchdown due to the phantom ref whistle for the um, Cincinnati Bengals. As a defensive player, what are you taught when you think you hear a ref, ref whistle or something like that? Yeah, so uh, that plays interesting, you know, and as a defensive player, if you hear a whistle, you're going to stop. That's just your that's just your instinct is to stop. Um, and I think by rule, it says if there's an inadvertent whistle, the play is dead. No matter what's going on in the play, the, the play is dead. If you look at that play, though, and you watch it, like the whistle was blown literally like a split second before the dude catches the ball. So it's not like it's not like there was a whistle and then the Raiders stopped playing and the dude was wide open for a touchdown. It was like he was open for a touchdown. They were throwing him the ball right before he caught it. They blew the whistle. So, you know, by rule, I can see why the Raiders are a little upset and why the Raiders fans particularly are a little upset because technically the play is supposed to be dead. The touchdown is not going to count. And it was a big play in the game. But like, a, like if you're being realistic as a player – that the the whistle had no effect on the play. It was a touchdown. It was a great throw. It was a great play by them, and the the whistle had no uh, really. It didn't affect the outcome. It didn't affect how the Raiders were playing the play. The dude was open. It was a great throw. It was a great pass. Great catch. So, you know, I could see why the fans are upset and why the Raiders would possibly be upset. But if you really look at it uh, unbiasedly, it didn't have much effect on the play, in my opinion. Looking at the Bengals and the success they've had, first playoff win in, I believe, 32 years, when the AFC North, we're talking about them a couple years ago, having the number one pick, picking um, Joe Burrow, and then having a not, another top 10 pick, getting Jamar Chase. Looking at this team, do you think this is a team that could make a Super Bowl run and possibly be even able to win a Super Bowl this year? You know, I do. Um, you know, I think especially when you get into the playoffs and they're in the AFC with, you know, the, obviously the Bills and the Chiefs who are going to score a lot of points probably when you play them. So obviously you have to be able to match, match them point for point. And I think they have the players to do it. You know, Joe Burrows, um, it was tough. It, he was, he had a good year last year, but it was so tough to evaluate him because their protection was so bad. And I think he was sacked more than anyone in the league. He didn't really have, like a weapon like Jamar Chase to kind of get the ball to. 
Um, but I mean, this year they've been one of the most explosive offenses, especially in the last half of the season. Um, and I think that's going to, and they have a running game, you know, Joe Mixon's a great player. So I think they have the ability to match, uh, Buffalo and Kansas city in terms of the points. Um, and then defensively they've, they're really improved defensively. Um, you know, they have a, a really good secondary with some guys who make a lot of play, you know, like Jesse Bates and one of my old teammates, uh, Chidobe Wuzier, the corner. He's playing really good for them. Um, they got some guys like Russia Passer. So I, re- I actually – they were kind of a slept-on team and no one was really talking about them when the playoffs started. But, I mean, I think you got to start taking them pretty seriously, honestly. Anyone else got any thoughts about the Bengals, Raiders, anything with that? Yeah, I think the Bengals, you know, well, you know, coming off the draft, you know, getting Jamar Chase, you know, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow have that unique bond, you know, formed at LSU. They won a national championship together. And, you know, Joe Burrow went to the NFL. Jamar Chase stayed for one more year there. And, you know, Bengals got an opportunity to get him in the draft, and they took that opportunity. And now look where they are. You know, they can beat you in the air, and they can beat you on the ground. And I think, you know, when they do end up going against, you know, maybe the Chiefs and the Bills, you know, that's further down the line, you know, I think the Bills are a force to be reckoned with. I think so, too. Yeah, Bills, uh, they were really impressive in that game against New England. I think that they had like a – it literally was a perfect game. Seven like no, seven. Yeah, all, every drive was a touchdown, no punts, no field goals, um, scored on every single drive. So, I mean – they played about as well as you could play. And obviously that's going to give them a lot of confidence going up against Kansas City, which I'm excited for that game. That's going to be a great game. You obviously got to play against Josh Allen um, last season with the Raiders. What differentiates Josh Allen versus other quarterbacks in the league? You're Patrick Mahomes, you're Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think for first and foremost is his size and his strength. Like he's not – built like a normal quarterback like I mean Rodgers and Mahomes they're not like small guys by any stretch of imagination but like when you really see Josh Allen in person he's like the biggest one of the biggest guys on the field I mean he's like 6'6 250 and he's physical like he's not afraid of contact he's fast um so I think when you add that to his arm like he's got the arm like Mahomes and Rodgers maybe not like the crazy passes like you see them make, but in terms of like arm strength and accuracy and everything, he's right up there with them. So I think when you just add his his passing ability and then with his size and his ability to run, that's kind of like the prototype, what every team is looking for. Like if you can get someone like Josh Allen, that's what you want, you know? And uh, so, I mean, obviously that he got rewarded. He signed this massive deal and uh, – I mean, so the Bills are going to be – as long as they – I mean, in this league, you need a quarterback. So as long as he's healthy and playing how he's been playing, the Bills are going to be around for a long time. Looking at one more thing about the Bills, and then we'll move back to the NFC. Looking at that defense, it kind of taking a step back last year and then being the number one scoring defense, had they forced Mac Jones in the two um, turnovers, both interceptions on the first play in the first half and then the second drive in the second half – what is it about the Bills' defense that just makes them better than the rest? Yeah, you know, uh, for one, they have really good players. 
Um, you know, in their secondary alone, they lost uh, Tre'Davious White, but when he's healthy, he's like one of the he's one of the best corners in the league. And then they're two safeties, who they're Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. They're kind of like slept on in terms of like fans, but the people who are like in the NFL and close to the game know how good those two guys are. And obviously, they were both voted All Pro this year, which that's like the like the Pro Bowl is mostly like a fan vote, and the uh, All Pro is voted on by like people within the league and media and stuff. So the all pro vote is the one that's really like, as a player, that's a better accolade than like the pro bowl. And you see, they both got it. So they were recognized for their ability, which they deserved. And then, um, I mean, they just have good players, man. Like Matt Milano, the linebackers, really good coverage guy. Um, I can't think of the other name, like having this middle linebacker who's like six, six, the dude dreads like I forget his name, but he's got his his brother plays. Oh, Edmonds, his brother plays Our for the uh, Edmonds. Yeah, Edmonds. his brother plays yeah. for the Steelers. That dude is an animal, man. He like just all over the field, sideline to sideline. So, and then you know they got a really good coach. Like they're Sean McDermott's a defensive coach, and he's got those he's got those guys playing really well. They know what they're doing. They got a good scheme. So, I mean Buffalo with that defense and how their offense playing, I. I think they're a dark horse for sure this year. Do you think they're a team that can go up against, like, obviously we'll get the answer this weekend against Kansas City, but they lost to Tennessee and Tennessee, I believe that was a Monday night football game. Do you mm -hmm. think that's a team that's now in the playoffs and I feel like are finally hitting their stride that could take down like a Tennessee or even a Green Bay? I think so, man. You know, once you get to this point in the season, there's only eight teams left, like, everyone is like anyone and really this is true throughout the entire season like look at indianapolis versus jacksonville last week of the season like indianapolis has to win they make the playoffs and they lose to jacksonville it's like any team can really be anyone any any day but really when you get to this point of the season it's like man you just that's why everyone loves the playoffs and it, you just don't know what's going to happen if if kansas city comes out and they start a little flat against Buffalo. It, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I, re I really do think that they could win the Super Bowl. I, I really think any team that's left right now has a legit chance to win the Super Bowl. That's kind of moving perfect into um, the next thing I want to talk about. I want to get y'all Super Bowl predictions going into the divisional round. Let's start with um, Dawson. He had his hand up, so let's start well, with Dawson. I actually wanted to touch on this topic before we get to, yeah. you know, Super Bowl predictions, but Jeff, you know, you currently playing for the New Orleans Saints. How is it like playing, you know, with Jameis Winston, you know, Jameis Winston, you know, bounce, you know, he was in Tampa Bay for a couple of years, wasn't really successful there. How is it, how's he doing now on New Orleans? Yeah. You know, I, I only played with him for a little bit because unfortunately he got hurt. Uh, I think he got hurt like week, week seven. I think we were five and two. Then he tore his ACL against Tampa and we kind of, went on a skid there, but, um, you know, the few months, I, the couple months I played with, him, you know, the first thing that you really notice about him is just his energy and his leadership. He's a great leader. He's a great locker room guy. He's like pretty much got all the characteristics that you'd want your quarterback to have. And then, um, you know, he, I think he's, I think he has a ton of ability throwing the ball. I think he, when you, when he was in Tampa, you kind of like, I mean, he threw for like 5,000 yards, tons of touchdowns. He was 
having a good stats. The only thing that was hurting him is he was turning the ball over a lot, throwing tons of interceptions. And, you know, that's as a quarterback, that's probably the quickest way to, I mean, lose your job, basically. It's harsh to say, but that's kind of what happened to him. He was just throwing too many interceptions. And then when he came to New Orleans, sometimes a, a change of scenery, a change of coaching staff, change of offensive philosophy can help you a lot. And I think he was doing a great job. You know, I think uh, um, we were playing well. He was playing well. And then obviously he had the setback. But, you know, I think he's going to come back um, ready to go. I think he's going to have a lot of success in New Orleans if they choose to sign him. I think he's a free agent. But um, if, if New Orleans signs him back, I think he'll have a lot of success. Kind of following up on that, can you describe to us how Sean Payton is as a head coach? Obviously, he had tons of success with Drew Brees. So what? how is he as a coach and as a human being? Yeah, I mean, uh, he's a great guy. I think, um, you know, I obviously – I wasn't even – I wasn't there during training camp. So I really – I signed, like, I think two weeks before the, the first regular season game. And as a defensive player, you really – and he's offensive coach, obviously – so you're really not like I'm, I don't like interact with them as much as people would probably think like he's always with the offense doing their stuff and I re- interacted more with uh, Dennis Allen and all the deep and all the defensive coaches but you know in terms of um, you know, how he leads the team and just his knowledge you can tell he's got a ton of experience um, he's really good at like game planning and like something like Bill Belichick you'll notice every single game is different. Like they don't really, it's not like they don't have an identity, but if they play a game where they need to throw the ball 60 times to win, they're going to do it. And if they play a team where they need to run the ball 60 times to win, they're going to do it. He's just really good at understanding what plan he needs to have going into the game. And he's really good at communicating that with the players and kind of getting everyone on the same page. And then, um, you know, in terms of just his offensive knowledge, like I've played against him so many times. And I always, anytime you were playing the Saints, you knew that it was going to be a tough game defensively just because um, such a creative offense and he uses tons of different personnel groups and tons of different players. And he just knows how to get everyone, you know, into the position to make plays. So, um I mean, he's a great coach. I, I really enjoy playing for him this year. Anything else before we get to Super Bowl predictions? Okay, then let's move into the big moment. Going into divisional round weekend, um, I want to get y'all Super Bowl predictions. You know what? I'll start it off. Um, I like what Kansas City did against Pittsburgh. I feel like that's a bit, one of the best offensive showings we've seen out of them this year. Patrick Mahomes looked really good. Finally got Tyreek Hill involved in the game plan a little bit. That being said, I'm going to be a little bit biased here. I think Buffalo takes them down this weekend. I think Buffalo goes on a hot streak. They're going to be either Tennessee or Cincinnati. I got the Bills in the uh, Super Bowl for the AFC going to the NFC side. It's it's hard to it's hard because you could go Packers or Buccaneers. Um, the playoffs go do go through Lambeau. Um, I'm going to go Packers. I really think that this is Aaron Rodgers' year to get through the to get over the hump and to get back to the playoffs. So I got Bills Packers for the Super Bowl. Dustin, you want to go next? All right. Yeah. Well, I don't disagree with you on one of those teams, but 
I think the, you know, the bills last year did struggle when they played at Arrowhead last year. And, you know, I think they're going to struggle this year again. But you also got to remember injuries as well. Uh, you got to remember they didn't have a hundred percent. Stefan right. Diggs didn't have a hundred percent. Gabe Davis didn't have a hundred percent. Cole Beasley. Plus they beat them in Arrowhead on Sunday night football, 38 to 20. At the end of the day, Arrowhead's a really hard place to go in and win. You know, that 100%. place is always – the energy is insane there. And I think Kansas City is going to come out on top. They're going to end up playing the Cincinnati Bengals. And, you know, that game's also going to be – you know, that's going to be a great game. And, you know, I really think – you know, this is a prediction here. But I think Cincinnati's going to give Kansas City a little run for their money. And I think Cincinnati's going to go to the Super Bowl – and they're going to end up playing Aaron Rodgers and his Green Bay Packers. Okay. Lyndon, you want to go next? Man, I, th- I think we're all sleeping on the 49ers. This is a, a blue-collar program right here. They can run the ball 80 times. This team that they can go to Lambeau. They're from San Francisco, obviously, in the, in the heat. But I, I don't see this team having pro- a problem going to Lambeau Field playing in negative two-degree weather in the snow if they have to. AFC, I think it's pretty split. I'll just say the Chiefs keep my money on a safe bet. Okay, Ethan, you're next. All right. Um, might be a little bit biased because I am a Packers fan, but I do like how the Packers are shaping up this year. Uh, I think as long as we can okay. keep Aaron Rodgers on the field, then, you know, I think we have some good hope for that. And then uh, going over to AFC. Oh, man. That's, um, that's, that's a tough one because all, all the teams, they have their own – you know, their own weaknesses and problems. But I might have to go the Bengals. Bengals. So we got two on Bengals. We'll go with our special guest, last but not least. Uh, Jeff, you want to give us your predictions? Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm going to have to agree with you, Derek. I think it's going to be Green Bay versus Buffalo. I think uh, um, I think Green Bay having home field advantage. Obviously, they had it last year as well, and it didn't. Obviously, Tampa went in there and beat them. But I just – Tampa's not the same team this year that they were last year, especially offensively. Um, they're kind of banged up. You know, losing Chris Godwin is really tough for them. Obviously, the whole A-B situation. So, I feel I feel stupid kind of betting against Brady just because anytime <laughs> someone tends to do that, he's proven everybody wrong, but still people, you know, kind of bet against him. But I think – I think Green Bay is going to take the NFC. And then, um, yeah, I think Buffalo. I think, uh, honestly, I think they might kind of put it on Kansas City a little bit this week. I'm, I'm not sure. Kansas City is a great team, too, and they're just so streaky, man. It's like I've played them numerous times, and the, it'll be close, and then five minutes later they're up like two touchdowns. And you're just like, how did that happen? They just score so quick. Um, but I think Buffalo is going to – be able to do enough defensively to kind of keep them in check. And uh, I'm not sure Kansas City's defense can match up with Buffalo's offense. So um, I think whoever comes out of that game is going to go to the Super Bowl, and I, I think it's going to be Buffalo. So I got so I got the NFL player on my side. That, that's, all I'm, that's all I'm saying there. <laughs> um, with that being said, that will wrap up episode six of Cheap Seats. I want to thank Jeff Heath for coming on with us, taking some time out of his day to come on with us. Uh, make sure to tune in Super Bowl week. We'll have some Super Bowl predictions. 
we'll probably go through these um, predictions and see how wrong all of us were when <laughs> Tennessee um, makes it to the Super Bowl and so does Brady, right. but we'll oh. have to win and see. So um, thank you everyone for coming on. Special thanks once again to Jeff Heath for coming on and we'll see y'all um, Super Bowl week for episode seven of Cheap Seats.